this is our fourth Sunday in our series on rest. Uh, the first week we looked at Mary and Martha. It's a story in Luke chapter 10 where Jesus is being hosted by two women. There's Mary who's sitting and listening to Jesus, and there's Martha. Martha's busy uh, doing all the things it's going to take to be a good hostess to Jesus. And Jesus said uh, that Mary has taken the better posture than Martha. That life really is more about being with Jesus than serving Jesus. And the next week we looked at uh, what it means to be burdened. Either we're going to be burdened by Jesus, and Jesus says that burden is easy and light, or we're going to be weary and heavy laden because we've taken on burdens that don't really fit us. And then last week we looked at we can either be conformed to the world, we can be busy like Martha, we can take on a, a, a load that makes us weary and heavy laden, or we can be transformed by the gospel. We can take on the easy and light burden. We can be merry. And so what's the difference between those two lists? What's going to move us from being weary and heavy laden to having the burden of Jesus being easy and light? And we said that really it's all about our habits. The habits that we adopt are what transform us. It's presenting our bodies. It's renewing our minds. And so some of the habits that we're going to look at uh, are going to be Sabbath. Uh, we're going to look at it this week and at least for one more, maybe two more weeks. We're going to look at uh, the, uh, the habit of simplicity. And we're going to look at the habit of um, silence and solitude uh, so glad you're with us on this journey. Let's pray before we get started. Uh, Father, uh, Lord, I pray you help me. You, you know uh, how I feel right now, speaking uh, in an empty sanctuary where I miss my friends. Uh, I miss my brothers and sisters. And uh, Lord, it's awkward for me to do this. And Lord, I, I know that those uh, listening, uh, Lord, this isn't the posture that they want to be in either. And so, Lord, I, I pray that you would make up the difference Lord, that you would comfort us uh, as we mourn uh, our losses. And so, Lord, would you speak to us? Be, be, be oh so kind to us uh, here through your word. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Uh, if you're like me, uh, the last three weeks and then uh, this upcoming Sunday night, I'm tuned in. I'm tuned in at 9 o'clock to ESPN. I'm watching The Last Dance. It's the Michael Jordan documentary. And it's uh, taking me back to my childhood. It's nostalgic for me uh, because I was 10 years old when uh, Jordan won his first title, and I was 18 uh, when he won his last one. So it was those pivotal years, those years when I was playing a bunch of basketball. And uh, it's been known uh, pretty much his whole career of just how competitive he was. He has so much energy towards winning. No, no matter who you ask, you ask his, his family members, you ask his friends, you ask his teammates, you ask those he played against, and they would talk about his unmatched energy to win. See, what Jordan would do is that he would take uh, any shred of information and use it to hunt you down, not just so that he could win, but so that he could crush you in the process. See, winning is what got him out of bed in the morning. What got you out of bed this morning? What's the energy that you want to exert today? And that energy you want to exert, it's a, it's a kind of restlessness, isn't it? 
That restlessness is a good thing. In fact, it's something that's been given to you by God. One of the early church fathers, Augustine, he was a dark-skinned brother uh, from Africa. He's got a really famous quote, and he said, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. See, at the end of the day, God is our destiny. And he's the only one who's going to satisfy our souls. But let's be honest, this simply isn't the case. We aren't all that satisfied with God. We're terribly restless. And it's kind of on us. It's kind of our fault. We love to talk about how much work we've done. We love to talk about how much more we had to do. We love to talk about how overwhelmed we are. We, We admire busyness and productivity. So there's no doubt that we're overly driven, and that is our fault, but it's also the water in which we swim. See, our our culture prizes being busy too. We swim in this pool of consumerism, and it's always holding out for us carrots, things to get us out of bed. There's always one more product to purchase. There's one more car, one more phone upgrade, one more vacation to take, one more concert to go to, one more restaurant to try, one more TV show to binge, one more, one more, and one more. And the message is that these products will make us safe and acceptable, and they might just give us rest, but they don't. I read a couple uh, quotes this week uh, from people out in Silicon Valley who are real familiar with tech companies. Uh, One of them used to work for Google. His name's Tristan Harris. And he left Google. He started his own nonprofit. And the mission of his nonprofit is to combat the reality that tech companies are intentionally designing everything that they do for distraction and addiction. Then you've got another person in Silicon Valley. He's a former Facebook president. His name's Sean Parker. And he says this about his time at Facebook. He said that Facebook was always asking this question, how do we consume as much of our customers' time and conscious attention as possible? Pretty dark, isn't it? And where does all that leave you? Where does uh, our heart's desire to be busy and our world's desire to be consumers and to be enveloped into social media, where does that leave us? It leaves us exhausted. There's a price that's been paid. And so is there a practice from the teaching of Jesus that's going to dampen our restlessness and bring us rest? Well, there is. And it's the Sabbath. And maybe you've never heard about the Sabbath. Or maybe you just thought, man, the Sabbath, that was an Old Testament thing. That's just something that Jews do. Jesus trashed the Sabbath. Well, that's not true. It's something that needs to be recovered. It's been forgotten by the church. And our culture certainly is going to pick it up and promote it. And we've forgotten this all to our own peril. See, it's not as if we don't love God. We do love God. But we don't know how to lay aside our work. 
We're better at working than resting. We, we would rather fix problems than sit with Jesus. But we need to learn how to do this. We need to learn how to, the practice of setting aside a day so that we might sit with Jesus. And so we're going to learn about the Sabbath. And we're going to learn about the Sabbath from the one who did it best. The one who did it first, in fact. And it was God. And so let's read these three verses from Genesis chapter 2 together. Verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. All right, I want to take, uh, pull out four verbs from those three verses. I want to weave them together so that we can get a picture of what it means for us to enter into the Sabbath. And here are the four words. They're finished, rested, blessed, and lastly, holy. Finished, rested, blessed, and holy. Let's start with finished. Imagine uh, that we did a little poll uh, at the beginning of worship, and you could click on uh, and, and give your answer. It would be simply this. What day did God finish creation? Sixth day or the seventh day? Now, if you would ask me before I started looking at this passage, which day did God finish? I would have said six days. He, he, he created the heavens and the earth all in the first six days. And on the seventh day, he rested. But it was finished after six. But that's not what these verses say. It says it wasn't finished until the seventh day. But you might say, well, Marsh, I, I thought God stopped on the sixth day with the pinnacle of creation, his image bearers. I thought he rested But what this passage tells us is that there's one thing left to do. That God had to manure. Now, that's not the verbal form of the word manure. Uh, Manure, in the original language of the Old Testament, Hebrew, it means to delight in. Manure. It's not a negative term. It's a very, very positive term. And God's got this one thing left to do on the seventh day. On the Sabbath day, he's got to delight in all he has made. There's a parallel to this. And the parallel is, is, the, is the birthing process. Think about it. A woman for nine months uh, goes through a lot of change in order to grow this baby. It takes a lot of work on the, uh, on the woman's body to make that happen. And then after the growing's done and the birthing process begins, and it's this uh, a grueling thing that happens, but it's also very, very beautiful. But we all know that there's more uh, to this whole thing of having a baby than making the baby, growing the baby, and birthing the baby. We all know it's not complete. It's not complete until the baby is in the arms of her parents. And the parents are gazing into the eyes of their new baby and they're bonding with that baby. They're delighting in that baby. And see, here's what God did. God creates all all the heavens and the earth in those first six days. And on the seventh day, 
he gathered it all up into his arms and he delighted in it. So the Sabbath is this day of wonder. It's the very best day of the week. It's the day on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday that's remembering the previous Sabbath. It's the Thursday, Friday, Saturday where we're anticipating the Sabbath that is to become. Is that too hard for you to believe? Is it too hard for you to believe that God has actually set aside a whole day of the week for nothing but delight? It might be more than you can handle, but that's what you were made for. And so what part of God's creation are you going to pick up today and delight in? What beauty are you going to gather up, receive, and give God praise for? What intrigues you? What excites you? What amazes you? What tickles your fancy? What casts you into an entirely different world because of the intensity of your delight? See, the Sabbath day, it's about play. It's about laughter. It's about singing. It's about making love. It's about, uh, it's about telling stories. It's about reading. It's about enjoying all of God's creation. It's a day of delight. Finish. Manua. And then the second verb. The second verb is the verb uh, rested. Manua, there's this activity to it, the delighting in. Well, the rest part is about what God's not doing. God's not being productive on the Sabbath. God's resting. See, rest really is the opposite of work. And when it says that God rested, it's not because he's tired. He's just not being productive. See, God rested. Guys, can, can I just say that again? God rested. And if God rested, why do you find it so hard to rest? You might say, well, Marsh, you know, I've got a pretty important job. God does. And he rested. You might say, well, uh, Marsh, you know, I've got two little kids at home. It's just not doable right now. Maybe when they're a little older, then I can really practice this Sabbath thing. Well, God had two little kids running around in the garden, Adam and Eve. And he rested. You might just say, well, Marsh, you don't understand. I really like to stay busy. But God rested. See, see, God is not a workaholic. God did not show up to the office that day. God did not come in to check in on creation and make sure it was chugging along. Rather, he rested. See, God's a restful God, and that ensures that restfulness, not restlessness, is at the very center of life. But what do we do? We readily trade in rest for unrest. We think we need to work seven days to ensure the creation goes along. But that's not what creation needs. I read about uh, a time uh, where people tried to move from a seven-day work week to a 10-day work week. It was during the French Revolution in France, and uh, they, tried, they did this so it increased productivity. But after a while, it ended up to an economic collapse, 
Uh, it ended up in uh, suicide rates skyrocketing. And it also ended up in being, there being less productivity. See, it's been proven study after study that there's no correlation between hurry and productivity. In fact, once you hit a certain number of hours in your work, your productivity plummets. You want to know what the hour number is? It's 50. That's ironic, isn't it? Sounds like a six-day work week. There's another study done, and it showed that there was uh, no difference in the amount of production in people who worked 55 hours a week and those who worked 70. So maybe our bodies are trying to tell us something, that we need rest. So the Sabbath is about delighting in, manure, finish. The Sabbath is about resting. And the third word is blessing. In Genesis 1 to 3, there's two other places besides here that use the word bless. The word bless is used of animals, and it's used of human beings with their capacity to multiply. And so then you've got animals, people, and a day that are blessed. So what could that mean? What well, means that the Sabbath has the ability to multiply life in you. It's a day to fill your souls back up because work is tiring. And we're told work is tiring in the curse of Genesis 3.17. Sure, it's a good thing in chapters 1 and 2 in Genesis, but in chapter 3.17, it becomes a curse. What never gets cursed is the Sabbath. See, John Mark Comer In his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, he references this study of what makes happy people. In the study that was done, it found uh, that this religious group, this Christian group of people are some of the happiest people on earth, and they're called the Seventh-day Adventists. It's the domination. Uh, As you can tell by their name, Seventh-day Adventist, uh, the Sabbath is really important to them, the seventh day. On that seventh day, they rest. And what doctors found out is uh, that Seventh-day Adventists, on average, live 10 years longer than the average American. 10 years. Well, if you think about it, if you uh, practice the Sabbath over the average lifetime of an American, how many years do you get back? 10 years. So to say that the Sabbath is life-giving isn't uh, just empty rhetoric. It actually is woven into who we are as people. When you practice the Sabbath, you really are elongating your life because it's a blessing, because it's multiplying life in you. So the Sabbath is uh, about God finishing his work, delighting in it. The Sabbath is about, uh, it's about God resting. The Sabbath is about the blessing. And now Sabbath is about being made holy. It's interesting here. See, at the end of the first six days, God calls them all good. But on the seventh day, he doesn't call the Sabbath good. Instead, he switches terms, and now he uses this word holy. He makes it holy. In the first six days, you've got plants, animals. uh, You've got human beings. You've got land, water, light, darkness. You've got this whole physical world, this world of space. 
And all these, these are the materials that the image bearers, the human beings that they're exerting their mastery over in order to cultivate all of creation, in order to steward it. But the Sabbath is different. The Sabbath is in a, not in the world of space, but it exists in the world of time. It's very different. See, as human beings, we know what to do with space. But time is a totally different thing. See, time is about being. Space is about having. Time is about being in accord. Space is about subduing. Time is about acquiring. Time is about enjoying things and space is about acquiring things. Now, I'm not trying to decrease the value of the physical world because after all, after each of the first six days, God said it was good. But what he didn't say about the physical world is that it was holy. Only time, only Sabbath is holy. Think of all the things God could have made holy. He could have had a holy mountain, could have had a holy spring, could have had a holy building, but he didn't. Instead, he chose a day. And that means that that's where God dwells. If you want to meet with God, you've got to meet him in his day. You don't need a church. You don't need a monastery. You don't need a a pilgrimage to, to, to Mecca. You don't need a pilgrimage to go visit the Dalai Lama. You don't need a stunning vista mountain view. All you need is time. All you need is the Sabbath day to enter into, to be with God. See, the Sabbath is something we enter and receive as opposed to something we create and take. See, I think the hardest part about the Sabbath is that we would rather earn our salvation than receive it. See, we can't interact in the whole world that we live in with busyness and productivity and service and heavy burdens and being overwhelmed with all these commitments and then all of a sudden shut that off enter into the world of the gospel, and then just receive. Instead, we need to live our whole lives as just something that we receive. That's what the gospel does. See, think about one of the things that Jesus said. One of the last things he said on the cross is, it is finished. Now, maybe you think, well, it is finished means that his life is finished. But what he's saying is that salvation is now finished. See, everything that you need to do was accomplished by Jesus and it was finished there on the cross. And now what the gospel is calling us to is faith, to lay down our works, to get busy about being unbusy and get busy about trusting in the finished work of Christ. And when we do that, it releases us. It gives us relief and it allows us to rest And now you have it. You have the Sabbath day to meet a Sabbathing God who actually loves you. Let's pray together. Dear Father, uh, Lord, make us a resting people. Make us people who are ready to rest in your finished work 
and not try to achieve salvation on our own. Do this for your glory, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.